am a Army veteran. I did two deployments, one to Iraq, one to Afghanistan. Um, my deployment to Afghanistan was my last deployment, and it was a rough deployment. Um, it didn't take long before being in country, before we started seeing a lot of combat. Um, I was actually injured in combat, and I was uh, sent back to the States for medical evaluations uh, before my unit. And when I got back to the States after being evaluated, they determined that it was a traumatic brain injury that I suffered from an explosion. Um, and they also had diagnosed me with having PTSD. And so when that happened, I um, knew that my military career was most likely coming to an end. And so I got to this, this place where I was just real hopeless. And, um, you know, cause I felt like the only thing I'd ever been any good at was being taken away. Like, I felt like I couldn't do that no more. I felt like I wasn't going to have any worth. I felt like I wouldn't have no purpose. And so I reached this place where I started coping with drugs and alcohol. I thought at one time when I, that I thought that's just the way my life had to be. I thought I was either going to always be using, end up in prison or dying. I thought those were my only options. And then one day Jesus showed up, like, the, like I had this encounter with the Lord and everything started to change for me. Um, and, and so I've been clean now for over six years. It wasn't like I got this experience and this encounter with the Lord and I was just completely changed. Like I still had these fears and I still had these struggles and um, God just put the right people in the right places. I used to have this fear of praise and worship here because the bass and the music was loud that it would sometimes cause me to have flashbacks and just the fear that it would. So I wouldn't come to praise and worship. Um, and what ended up happening is I met a guy who's one of my best friends now who encouraged me and invited me to go to men's boot camp. I, uh, the Holy Spirit worked on me there and I was freed from that. And so now praise and worship is one of the things that I enjoy the most. And I'm in the front row with my hands in the air praising and worshiping. Um, God used some people, he used some ministers here. I, the men's pastor, uh, freedom ministry pastor. And one of the things they did with me is they, they just, they sat with me, they gave me counsel. Uh, they prayed over me, they prayed with me, and, and that day it will always stick out to me because I remember being freed from, from fear, like I was re redeemed from it, like it, it left. And um, I remember driving home that day and having to pull over because I was crying so hard because it was the first time that I can ever remember, like I, my mind wasn't just racing, there wasn't a thousand thoughts, and I wasn't overwhelmed with fear and anxiety. I didn't, I didn't, my mind was so clear, I didn't know that's what your mind was supposed to do. And so, you know, I, I'm in this place now where, um, you know, serving in the military was a great thing, and, and it was a good thing I did in my life, but it's not the greatest thing I've ever done in my life. The greatest thing I've ever done in my life is accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and that will always be the greatest thing I've ever done. Come on, is that not incredible? I am telling you, hey, I think that the men and women who have served in our military, who are serving currently, our first responders, that are making life what it is in the big country, I think they deserve a shout out and a round of applause. Would you say thank you to these men and women? Man. Our public servants really are demonstrating the heart of Jesus to enable us to live in a place of freedom. I want you to hear that word for a second, freedom, because I think that is the intention of God. During this day, all around the world in various um, times, people are saying the same thing. Somebody like myself will say, he is risen, and people will respond. He is risen indeed. See, you learned something new today. So at the North Campus, 
here at the South Campus, our online family, even if you're in the house by yourself, it matters not. I want you to respond and let it ring inside of you. He is risen. Let's do it again, but say it like you mean it. He is risen. And he is indeed risen to bring about increasing freedom in our lives. Think about it for just a second. Think about the possibility. What if Jesus wants each of us, not just some of us, but each of us, to live a life with less and less fear? Is that not what you heard in a testimony? The testimony isn't meant to tell us what God has just done in somebody else's life. It's also meant to spur faith in our life about God, what God wants to do. And he wants us to have a life increasingly that has less and less fear. Now, when you hear the word fear, don't overthink it for a second. We're not talking about the everyday precautions that make life safe. So as we talk about living a fearless life, we're in no way saying that you should just go play in the middle of a busy highway. We know that. We know if you're walking through a field and you hear that sound. I'm not saying to get all bold and not pay attention to it. We know we need to have a little wise precaution in that. So when Chris talked about a day that he had without fear. We're talking about misplaced fear. We're talking about inappropriate fear. We're not saying that he left the place where he was meeting with his counsel and just started driving through stoplights. Like, I'm gonna live fearless and just drive through stop signs and things like that. No, when we talk about a life with less, can you dare dream in a life with no fear? We're talking about inappropriate, misplaced fear. What Chris said, I've heard it several times now, it stuck with me so much. He says, I was no longer overwhelmed. No longer overwhelmed with fear, anxiety. My mind was so clear that I didn't know that was what my mind was supposed to do. When he said that, I heard it for the first time, I was reminded of a challenge I read once in a book. And it said, imagine your life wholly untouched by angst. What if faith, not fear, was your default reaction to threats? If you could hover a fear magnet over your heart and extract every last shaving of dread, insecurity, and doubt, misplaced fears, what would remain? Envision a day, just one day, absent the dread of failure, rejection, and calamity. Can you imagine a life with no fear? You see, I understand it's Easter weekend. And I understand the nature of Easter weekend and all it is that we do. Man, we've got our new spring outfits. Everyone is looking so sharp, so good. We have Easter egg hunts. By the way, and I'm not exaggerating this at all, Easter egg hunts are a lot different than when I was a kid. Like, we put Easter egg hunts out. My wife has to go to the bank, and she has to get money to put out um, stuff for the grandkids. My grandparents never did anything like that. You know what I'm saying? I mean, like, I'm going to go broke doing Easter each and every year. I can't imagine what's going to happen when my grandkids get Venmo. Grandma's going to go crazy on that, right? But we got the Easter egg hunt. We got the pictures. Man, we got the pictures. We take dozens and dozens and dozens of pictures to make sure we get the very best picture we can. And before we post it, we go and we edit the picture to make sure it's really, really perfect, right? Because we want to put it up on there and we want to look like we are that Saturday evening post family. That is a shout out to my people over 50 in the room. If you're under 50, Google Saturday evening post. You're going to find out the social media generations are not the first to try to do absurd things to impress people. People. Social media generation, we may just do a little bit more of it, right? 
I understand it's Easter weekend. I understand we probably have plans after the services and things we need to get to. But we got here. We turned online. We came into the campus. Why don't we dare do something? Let's dare take a few minutes and let's go a little deeper. And think that there's maybe something God wants to do that doesn't just affect this weekend. It's not just about a a, a celebration weekend. Maybe there's something that God wants to do that's life-altering, life-changing, life-improving. Life as he intended it to be. Think about it. Can you imagine a life with no fear? See, I don't know about you, but some of that seems impossible. As impossible as one who died and who rose again to life. I was reading an article this past week in a magazine. It's often quoted in church. It's entitled Rolling Stone. Maybe you've heard about it. The article was entitled Why We're Living in an Age of Fear. Little side note, big country trivia. Did you know that the editor that put um, Rolling Stone magazine on the map is actually from Abilene, Texas? Some of you saying, no way, look it up. I promise you it's true. I've had dinner with him a couple of times in all places in Israel. I met him for the very first time when he was volunteering to guide people um, through the garden tomb and telling people about Jesus. An amazing man, amazing story what he has. That's a side note free to you for being at Beltway on Easter Sunday. Anyway, according to the article, while we're living in an age of fear, a sociologist has quoted and said, most Americans are living in the safest place at the safest time in human history. Now come on, we don't feel that way, but it's absolutely true. Just a cursory knowledge of history, right? That history class that you had all the way through school, you tried not to let that stuff get in you, but some of it did. You can look back on history and think life was a lot harder back then. Some of you watched the prequel to Yellowstone, 1883. And you have to admit, life back then, a lot harder in the Abilene area than it is today, right? We are living in one of, if not the most safest time and safest places in human history. If that is the case, why do we still have so much fear? Well, according to that sociologist, he says, we are living in the most fear-mongering time in human history. And the main reason for this is that there's a lot of power and money available to individuals and organizations who can perpetuate these fears. So there's an old adage of advertising that is still utilized today. We know it is true, sex sells. But there's also another adage that's actually more pertinent on the internet, probably truer on the internet than even this idea of sexuality and it selling. It is this. Fear gets clicks. Why? Neurobiologist from Stanford actually runs a lab. All they do is study fear. And he says, the more we learn about the brain, the more we learn that it's not something that's supposed to make you happy all the time. The brain is mostly a stress-reactive machine. Its primary job is to keep us alive. That's good news, right? Which is why it's so easy to flip people into fear all the time. Modern media knows this. So daily now we are being inundated with thousands and thousands of headlines and they are meant to stir concern, caution, anxiety. Because when we see something that causes us to caution, stir us to places of anxiety, what do we do? Click. Click. And the dollars just keep rolling in. Do you know that the generation that's being raised up right now Junior high and high school students are considered the most fear-filled generation in American history since World War II. Why? 
most internet generation. Click after click after click. And the result of this is that people, when asked to describe life, we use a word. I bet if you were honest, it's true of all of, uh, most of us. Overwhelmed. Just overwhelmed. It's such an issue that we can't even begin to imagine a day, much less a life without fear. See, there's two words that stir around in our brain all the time. And they're added to because of all the stuff we're reading in modern media. And the words are simple. What if? What if there's another pandemic, but this one's worse? What if the stock market crashes? What if there's an accident? What if the doctor says those dreaded words? What if somebody sues me? What if? And some of you are thinking, what if I didn't come to church this morning because this isn't encouraging me at all, right? It doesn't take long for us to get into that. But I want to ask you another what if. What if life was not meant to be lived asking what if all the time? What if there's a better design, another way that we are supposed to live? In the scripture, God gives a command. One command that supersedes all the other commands. In 365 various constructs, God says to you and I, do not fear. 365 times. Now, some of you are on your mental game right now. And you're thinking, 365, that's the same number of days that are in a, almost as if we're supposed to live every day, not in fear. Why would God command 365 times a fearless life if fear is just the norm for human existence? Is he a sadist or is he saying to us, hey, there's a better way, a different way you're supposed to live this life? You see, here's what's amazing about God. God commands nothing that he's not willing to empower to become reality. Every command in scripture, everything he tells us to avoid, everything he tells us to do is for our good. And he says, I've not left you on your own to do it. I will empower you, enable you to do that as you follow me. And so when the Bible says that God says, do not fear, he wants to empower us. He says, my desire, think about it. My desire is that you not be overwhelmed. My desire is not that you live in anxiety and the what ifs and all that. My desire is that you rest. We can see that at the beginning of the Bible. Adam and Eve sin. They run from God. They put on clothes. They hide from him. God goes looking for them. Why? Because he don't want them to be afraid. We see it at the end of the Bible, and we see it throughout. But maybe the clearest place we see it, six verses right in the middle of the Bible. Six verses that go through what I believe are six foundational fears that cause us to feel overwhelmed in life. And what we're going to do over the next weeks, some of you are saying you're about to advertise to us. You're right, I am. Over the next weeks, we're going to talk about and unpack these six verses and what it might look like, how God wants to bring us into a place of fearless living. See, I understand anytime you invest time, it is an investment. I believe this investment will have a high ROI. I believe something God wants to stir to do a great work in our lives. And I think once you hear the verses, you'll understand why I say that. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. 
for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And all God's people said, come on, as I was reading that, it's hard to hold on to anxiety, isn't it? If you meditate on that for a little while, it's hard to be fearful. See, I now get why it's so popular, but I'll be honest with you. In my early days of following Jesus, I've been following Jesus now for almost 43 years. In my early days, I thought that the 23rd Psalm was highly overrated. In my early years, I mean, really, as far back as I can remember into my childhood, I was filled with fear and anxiety, wired tight, to the point that when I was 17 years old, I was hospitalized because of severe stomach ulcers that were bending me over in the middle of even normal activity. And I understand stomach ulcers come from a lot of things. Mine was from worry. Because what was happening was this. Even back in the 1980s, I know, I'm aging myself right there, aren't I? Way back in the early 80s, before there was ever an internet to help me, I was asking what if. I mean, my brain can ask a lot of what ifs. You don't want to worry about the internet overwhelming you? Just come talk to me for a little while and say, David, start asking what if questions. After about five minutes, I'll have you curled in the fetal position. I'm just telling you, I can do it. And my mind was doing that. And I was thinking what if, and then I felt like I had to come up with an answer to the what if. What if, and how am I going to respond to that? What if? See, I was moving into adulthood. I needed to do something. And all the what ifs of my brain moved right down to my gut, into my life, and I felt overwhelmed and undone in life. And I heard all these what ifs, and people would say, hey, don't worry, David, the Lord is your shepherd. And all I could think of in my mind was an old kid's show at Christmas time called The Little Drummer Boy. That's what I thought of with the shepherd. Cute kid, but he's really not much help to my life with all the what ifs. In my mind, I didn't care if the Lord was a shepherd. I wanted the Bible to say the Lord is my brilliant scientist and he is going to bring the answer to COVID-19 and any other pandemic that might come our way. The Lord is my B1 bomber. Shout out to the bone right there. The Lord is my B1 bomber and he is going to quickly and easily take care of any despot that might rise up against us. The Lord is my endless bank account. Come on. And anytime I want to go to bank, there's money there for me. You know what I'm saying. You see, when I read the word, the Lord is my shepherd, I think of a powerless kid with a menial job. And what I needed in this world was power. Because fear at its root is a sense of a loss of control and an inability to respond to a situation that might come your way. What if, and do I have the power to deal with it? And I needed power. But I missed the point of the image. See, in the Bible, there are a lot of images given of God. It's not because they're contradictory. It's because God ultimately is indescribable. He's beyond description. He is that great. But the scripture will give us an image to try to give us a facet of who God was. And I was missing this facet because it really wasn't about his power. It was about his heart. I was reading years into my Christian journey about the guy who wrote this psalm, a guy named David. And you all probably know the story of David no matter where you are in your spiritual journey because you've heard David versus Goliath, right? How many of you have heard of Goliath? Hands up. So it's a great, best sports analogy out there right now. If there's a great underdog against someone who's really supposed to whip them and they beat them somehow, David defeats 
Goliath. But this is much more serious than a sporting contest. Goliath, this nine foot six inch giant of a warrior would be down in the valley taunting the armies of Israel and saying there's no reason for all of us to go to battle. You send your best warrior, we will fight. Whoever wins, wins in place of their army. If I win, all of Israel becomes my slave. If Israel's soldier win, we'll all become your slaves, but we all stay alive. How about it? Bring your best. No one would go for 40 days. David shows up, hears the taunts, says, I'll do it. Before he was able to do it, somehow this teenage boy, not even a soldier, had to go convince the king of Israel to let him go as a representative. He had to argue to the king of Israel, lay out his credentials that I can fight a warrior named Goliath. And so David began, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. I'm thinking not a good start, David. You have a massive warrior here. A guy that's been raised to battle for his entire life. And you look at Saul and say, I've been sheep watching. Not a great connect, but the next words. The next words are hard for us to grasp. And it goes straight to the image that we're being given in Psalm 23. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from the mouth of a lion or a bear. When it turned on me, think about that. When it turned on me, what do you do? Run is what you do, right? He says, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will fall like one of them because this day he has defied the armies of the living God. Now really think about this. This supposedly powerless kid did hand-to-hand -hand combat with bears and lions. Apparently not tigers, but bears and lions, right? Come on, we're not talking about like Yogi the Bear. We're not talking about Boo Boo or Smokey the Bear or a Care Bear or even your sweet little teddy bear. We're talking about bears like this. Question, you jumping on one of those? I'll just be honest with you, I ain't jumping on one of those for any animal. You know what I'm saying? Like I have a dog. Dog and I are tight, I'm not gonna lie. Her name is Shiloh. Shiloh's my hunting buddy. It's not an exaggeration to say in the past seven years we have hundreds of hours in the field together. I mean, we do a lot together. Shiloh is my sweetheart. My wife does not call her Shiloh. My wife calls her princess because of the way I treat her. In fact, there have been false accusations by some that I have treated the princess more valuable than I have my wife. I say for the public that is a lie. <laughs> but she is pretty special in my life. I'm telling you, we're tight. I ain't jumping on any bear for her. And don't look at me like I'm some sort of horrible monster or I'm a coward, because you're not jumping on one of those bears either, are you? You get what I'm saying? So this whole idea is foreign to me, because I'm sitting here thinking, 
David says that a lion or a bear comes and grabs one of the sheep that he is watching. One of his sheep. And I'm sitting there thinking, if I'm like David of old, and a bear or a lion grab one of my sheep, my thought in my brain is this. Sheep are cheap. <laughs> they breed. They like breed quickly. I'll get more sheep. There's just one of me. I'm not jumping on a lion or a bear. That's our normal thinking. And what we do when it comes to really thinking about God, we think God thinks like us. And deep down, we fear we're expendable to God. We live in a world of the disposable, do we not? The world of planned obsolescence. My iPad here has a warranty. I don't know how long it is. I just expect that my iPad's gonna last about six months longer than the warranty. You know what I'm saying, right? And the whole idea is it's going to break and I'm going to get a new one. That's the world in which we live. Each one of us right now is one among 7.5 billion people alive on planet Earth. One among an estimated 117 billion people who've, le who've lived since the beginning of time. And I think deep down we're thinking, surely God's looking down on us and saying, humans are cheap. They breed. They breed rather quickly. I can lose some and I can get some more. See, we think that. God thinks that way because that's the way we think. And we think when it comes to life, I'm really on my own. And if I'm on my own, then I've got to contemplate all the what ifs. And I've got to somehow come up with the answer to the what ifs. But then I look at the guy in the mirror. And when I ask the what ifs, I know the guy in the mirror doesn't have what it takes. I don't have enough power and I'm going to be out of control but into that reality came Jesus. And Jesus, the one we are celebrating this weekend, his death, burial, and resurrection, when he described what he was going to do, he actually quoted the 23rd Psalm and said, I am the good shepherd. And what does the good shepherd do? The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The one who is a hired hand, the one that doesn't own the sheep, he doesn't do that. He sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep, flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Come on. It is difficult for us to believe that anyone would count a sheep so significant that he would lay down his life for it, much less risk his life. But that was the reality of an ancient shepherd. And as much, at a much deeper level, I think most of us believe it's difficult to think that God would care that much to really lay down his life for me. We fear we're expendable to God. We're disposable. And that fear is the foundation of every fear. It makes sense to us. Again, I look at that person in the mirror and I know how messed up and screwed up that person is. I know what goes on in these brains when no one else knows. I know the actions I've done that no one else has seen. And if God is who God has revealed himself to be, then he is not only powerful without limit, but he is pure in a way that I cannot fathom. And he could have nothing to do with me. And I have to think, 
If this life is to be, it's up to me. I am on my own. And on my own, I feel overwhelmed. See, the declaration, five words. I challenge you, let them sink deep into your soul. The Lord is my shepherd are some of the most amazing words we'll ever hear. And what is being shouted to us this season and every day is praise God. He doesn't think like we think. He doesn't see things like we see them. Every human was created by the purpose of God in the image of his glory so that we could reflect his glory and share in his love. That is reality. I don't care what they tell you. You didn't come from a amoeba that somehow became a monkey, that you somehow became a, just a higher facet of the animal kingdom. You are made in the likeness of the Almighty. And because you are made in that likeness, he finds you of a value we cannot fathom. The struggle is this, we sinned, we strayed, we rebelled against God. The prophet Isaiah described it this way, we all, say all, like what? Have gone astray. Sheep are far more rebellious than you think they are. There's a reason, there's an analogy of us being like sheep. When they went their own way, the Lord laid on him the shepherd, the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, but he didn't open his mouth. We were meant to go to the slaughter, but he was led like a lamb to the slaughter for a reason that our mind cannot begin to comprehend. God doesn't find us expendable. Beyond that, he wants us. He said, David, I don't get that. Me either. But the scripture says that every day ordained for us was written in his book before one of them came to be. So not only does he know your name, he knows every facet of the days you're going to live in this earth. Not only is that he's watching you so carefully. The scripture says that it'd be like he knows the number of hairs on your head. You brush your hair, one falls out, he immediately knows. You happen to grow some. Praise God for some of us, right? He knows it. He's that watchful for our lives. He desires us that much. And there's no reason for it. We don't deserve it. You go, I don't deserve it. I know it is because of the grandness and greatness of his heart for us. That is what's being said in the shepherd. I am your shepherd says how much my heart is for each of you. God doesn't find any human who has ever existed, who will exist. No one here. No one online, no one at the North Campus, he finds no one insignificant in life. In fact, when we are told by our world that you are only as valuable as what you produce, so we strive and we strive and we go and we go. We'll talk about it next week. He says, you are of such value to me that before you did anything, before you even said yes, I paid this price for you. I paid my son. Without exaggeration, I can say there's nothing on planet Earth as valuable as you. Now, there's 7.5 billion others just as valuable as you. None more than you, none less than you. That's the kind of worth we have. 
And we know that because when we rebelled and deserved to be disposed of, God became a sheep and died so that we could have life. God paid the price to buy back his own sheep. Think about that. I was talking to a paint contractor a couple of decades ago. All his paint tools were stolen. They eventually found them, I think three or four weeks later, at a pawn shop. And for various reasons, he could not get them back free. He had to buy back his own tools. And I remember asking him, why did you do that? He looked at me like I was somewhat foolish and said, those tools are too valuable to who I am and what I do not to buy them back. Our own sin sold us into slavery. We belong to God. We chose to sin and rebel, and we became those who belong to Satan with the same destiny of Satan and his minions in hell forever. And God did the unthinkable when we had done nothing. He paid the price and said, I want you back this much. And you go, why? Because who you are and who I am is too important to who God is and what he does not to buy them back. Now you know why this is either the most idiotic thing ever or it's the most incredible news ever. There's nothing in between. Let it sink in. The Lord is my shepherd. A shepherd who finds us so significant and so valuable that he would not just risk his life, but he would give his life for us. And when we embrace him as shepherd, and we do what sheep are supposed to do, which is follow the shepherd, you know what we find the result to be? Less fear. And I implore us, receive the invitation, the gift being offered to us. Fearless becomes more reality when we closely follow the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me beside still waters. He leads me on paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He leads me to a life of less and less fear if I follow him as a shepherd. So here's my question. Before we land this plane, get to the gate. Let me ask you a question. How closely are you following the shepherd? Is that a fair question today? I mean, we can have done our time, wrap up our moments, and get some pictures. I'm great with the pictures. We've got some great picture-taking spots set up for you. But how closely am I following the shepherd? See, we've got to pick. Am I going to live life on my own? If it is to be, it's up to me. At least Overwhelmed leads to fear. Or I can follow the shepherd. And then all of a sudden, the what ifs come. What if, and you remember, oh, the shepherd's got that. Well, what if? Yeah, shepherd's got that. What about this thing in the future? That's the shepherd's job. What am I going to eat? Shepherd. What am I going to drink? Shepherd. What am I going to wear and be provided for? That was shepherd. I just stay close to the shepherd. I had an image last night. I guess I'm on my hunting dog theme. Um, my dog has a command called heal. You know the basic idea. When you tell a dog to heal, they're supposed to stay right there at your heel. There's dogs that actually do that. I know some of you are amazed by that. 
And mine will most of the time. I say heel, she's right here. I turn right, she turns right. I turn left, she turns left. Never have to say a word to her. If I stop, she's supposed to stop. And she does most of the time. What if we lived life like that with Jesus? Just right there. You say, David, well, there's 7.5 billion of us. The thing is, he's infinite, so each one of us can be at heel. We just stay closely. We just stay real close. But here's the deal. He loves you so much, he's not going to make you do it. In ancient times, when those sheep would rebel and go their own way, and they kept going their own way, you know what the shepherd did? He broke their leg. I know some of you are saying, dude, you've run to shepherds for me. No, he didn't. You know why? Because then when they had to go find pasture, he picked up that sheep and carried it to pasture. And then they had to move and find water, and he picked up that sheep and he carried it to water. And he carried that sheep everywhere they needed to go for weeks until the limb healed. And through that process, the lamb so trusted the heart of the shepherd that he would go anywhere with that shepherd. Jesus isn't going to break your leg. He did something more to show you his heart. He went to a cross. And even when the world feels like the valley of the shadow of death, it feels like a battle, I'm in the presence of my enemy, I look at the cross and I know his heart. I can follow him. I can trust him. The Lord is my shepherd. And I can obtain the abundance of life as I follow him. Or I can do it on my own. I'll be honest with you. I was doing really well. COVID hit. I went backwards in some COVID stuff. I mean, not about COVID, just about me inside. It's almost like the Lord had brought me to a certain level, dealing with the fear and anxiety, and then something big like I'd never experienced happened, and I started reverting back to old stuff. I bet I'm not alone in that. It's like the Lord wants to get this deep in me. No, really? I'm your shepherd, and you can trust me. And I'm telling you more than ever, I want to live close to him. I'm just asking you this Easter, what about you? Not just Easter Sunday. I'm talking about next Tuesday. I'm talking about next Sunday when it's time to come again. And I'm talking about a year from now and five years from now. I want something so deep within me that I can impart it to my grandkids. And at times they can be on the internet, but they know something from grandpa. They're Mac. That I've imparted to them that they don't have to live a life being overwhelmed. Because they run after the shepherd and they see him. They know him. And they become who they're supposed to be in him. That my ceiling can be their floor. And they can build on it. That's my dream. And so I'm going to get there, not just for me, not just for the glory of God. I'm going to get there for my kids and my grandkids. And I invite you to do the same. Let's bow our heads. I know it's time for us to go. This is the most important thing we're going to do, but we're not going to linger here long. Stay with me. Are you following the shepherd? Just real honest. Have you ever given your life to him? Have you turned your life over to him? I mean, that's the way the game, that's not the game, that's the way the offer is. Jesus says, I gave my life for you, and I'll give you everything I battled for you to have, but you've got to give your life back to me. You've got to become my follower. So it's not a half-hearted thing. It's not a kind of thing. It's not a religious thing. You don't say, I'll come to church on occasion or something like that. It's like, I'll give you my life. I'll learn of you. I will grow in you. I will follow you.
like a great dog at heel. And I'll stay close to you. And I'm going to trust you're going to bring me life. And maybe you've never made that decision, but today you want to do it. And April 17th, 2022 can be the turning day in your life. Or some of us will say, man, I did that a long time ago, but I have been so far from the shepherd I can barely see him. But today's the day you come back. And you just want to say, for the first time ever, Jesus, I am yours. I give you my life. I am your follower. Or you want to say, I'm going to return to you. I'm a prodigal that needs to come home. And if you need to do that, I'm going to count to three. And without hesitation, we're not going to linger here long, so don't wait. I hit three. You raise your hand and say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Jesus, I'm returning to you, and I'm going to follow you. Ready? One, two, three. Put your hands up right now. Come on, put them up. Now, you mean it. You give it to him. Say, Jesus, right now. You got your hand up, keep it up. Say, Jesus, I'm yours. I belong to you. I'll follow you. I'm tired of doing life my own way. I will follow after you. Give me grace for it. Amen. Put your hands down. Stay in this place of prayer. These men and women deserve a round of applause, a shout. Praise God, most courageous thing you've ever done. Now, for the rest of us, I don't care if you're looking at me or not, you say you want courage and grace to follow Jesus more closely than you ever have in the days, weeks, and months ahead. You want to closely follow the shepherd. You want that kind of grace from God. You're his follower. Put your hand up right now and say, Jesus, I need grace to follow you more. I want it. So, Jesus, I declare over each of us, there's a grace sufficient for the hour, and we want to follow radically after you. Give us grace to do it, North Campus, online, South Campus, it matters not. We need grace from you, Almighty. We thank you for the victory you've won, and we're going to live in that victory more than ever by staying close to you. In Jesus' name, amen.